you know, he's, he says all that, but he provides earplugs out there. What sense does that make? I've never spoken at a place where they had the option to listen to me or not. Um, have a seat. Hey, it's nice being with you and sharing with you, and I really am excited to be here. I, I, when I get done, you'll know why I'm about ready to say this. I don't get asked to speak at many places, um, but I'm here today. I get to share where James is uh, your lead pastor. I know that God has gifted him in a great way. Um, in fact, Tim Cole, uh, the head of Waypoint, told me one day, I've, I've never heard James preach, all right? Um, I've heard him speak a few times like via recording that he gave, some things that he shared, but uh, I've never heard him uh, preach, but Tim Cole swears that you guys have uh, one of the best speakers that he knows of in the whole state of Virginia. <clears throat> so I am here today to make him look really good, all right? So, um, and I wanna tell you, your praise team is incredible. They really are. Um, uh, golly, I, I know this may shock you, but I don't usually listen to rap. No, really. Uh, and, um, but to hear that, that was just really, really awesome. And I'm excited to have them at Kindred just whenever James doesn't know it. I'm going to slip them out on a Sunday and have them over in Midlothian uh, to share with us. Like James said, uh, I've planted churches before. Um, I planted one out west. Yes, it was called Journey Church. It really well. It was in a small little dusty ranch town outside um, Reno, Nevada. And uh, then after eight and a half years of that, I came back. My wife told me one day, my wife is from back um, in the south, and uh, she told me, made it real clear, Rod, I don't want to die in the desert. And um, I said, yeah, I don't either. So um, I began to pray and ask God because I love planting churches, but I hated raising the money. Uh, that was my least favorite part of planting churches. I had to raise about $350,000 over a three-year period. Not fun. And uh, so I got to do it. Um, I got to come and didn't have to raise the money, but we're doing a replant. So Kindred Church is five years old but the church itself is about 18 years old, but it was on kind of a downward slope. And so um, I, I love being a part of a church plant. I think church plant is one of the best ways to reach people for Jesus. I truly do. So um, that's what I love about it. Listen, I usually speak 50 minutes and I gotta get going. I'm sorry, um, I'm gonna get you out of here sometime. All right, uh, they may be skating around us, but just keep paying attention. Um, you know, one of my things that I love about Scripture is uh, the encounters of Jesus. If you've never um, really got into Scripture too much and Bible reading and if statistics are true, probably six out of ten of you probably don't read your word on a regular basis. And a lot of times people don't read the word because they read it and it doesn't do anything for them. I don't know whether they're stuck in Leviticus or whatever, but I always tell people, listen, go to the Bible and find the, just the stories of Jesus encountering individuals because you will see exactly why Christ came to earth. Now, Jesus showed it in many ways. You know, a lot of people don't realize that Jesus, when he was called rabbi, it's because he was a rabbi. And so he taught at different synagogues and temples along the way. In fact, the story we're going to hear today is one of those encounters that it started at a temple when he was teaching. He also taught, as you know, 
on the hillsides, right? And he taught through parables. And the reason he taught through parables, he explained to his disciples because it was easier for the people to understand and they could relate to it. And we like all the parables. If you want to get into your scriptures and, and learn a little bit more about Jesus, read his parables, study the parables. That's something that is a little bit easier and will grab your interest more and keep you involved. And that's what we need when we study the word. But today I want to talk to you about probably my favorite encounter in the New Testament with Christ in the Gospel of John. Now, I know that we don't carry Bibles most of the time nowadays, but you have it on your phone. If you have your phone Bible, all right, look it up on the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter. I'm gonna start in the first verse, and I'm gonna read and touch on some things as we go, because I really believe right here you get a glimpse of exactly why God sent Jesus from heaven to earth. This is one of the best pictures of the purpose of Christ coming to earth, all right? So John chapter eight, starting in verse one, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and I've been there, and there is a temple at the Mount of Olives, or there was. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and again, all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now, I'm gonna hop back into this in a second, but I want you to get that this is one of the most popular times in Christ's ministry. This is just a few months, probably three to six months before he was crucified, okay? This is one of the most popular times. His height of popularity was amazing. And everybody heard about him, and they were coming to speak. So when he went to the temple, you can imagine that this crowd gathering around him was pretty big. It was a pretty good-sized crowd. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. Now, that's what my translation says. That's the English Standard Version. Some of your versions will say that they, she th they threw her at the feet of Christ. So here Jesus is, he's sitting talking, and all of a sudden, he's surrounded by a horseshoe of listeners, and all of a sudden, here comes some scribes and Pharisees, and in case you didn't know, these are the people Jesus had the greatest amount of problem with in his ministry, in his three-year earthly ministry, and here they come, and they throw a woman at his feet saying she's been caught in adultery. Now, I don't want you to miss something here. She's been caught in adultery. She's not been accused of adultery. She didn't have the reputation of being an adulteress. She's been caught in adultery. So what that means is somebody, some of these Pharisees or whoever, kicked the door open, walked in, and drug her out of a bed of a man that was not her husband. That's called being caught. And they drug her through the town square, whatever, to the temple. I could see him struggling through the crowd. You could see the crowd turning and looking up and seeing what's happening. And I could see him throwing this woman right before Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something here. This transgression that she's accused of is one of the greatest transgressions in Israel. Did you know that? It's one of the greatest transgressions in Israel. Adultery brought about the punishment of death. All right? There was not like you naughty girl, three days of public service. There was nothing like that here. What it was was you die, you die now, you die by stoning. All right? And so that's what happened. These people came before him and they threw her down. 
All right? Now listen, before we get any farther, I want to touch on something. We have identified, and this woman is identified in Scripture, as the adulterous woman. We don't really know anything about her. The, the uh, Catholic Pope in the 600s tried to make everybody believe that this was Mary Magdalene. And if you saw um, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson portrayed Mary Magdalene as the woman caught in adultery. But there is nothing in Scripture that actually teaches that. That's just a tradition being taught. Nobody really knows who this woman is, except they know this. She's an adulterer. You see, that's what happens in our world. We are identified by events and actions in our lives. This woman is not identified as, oh, that's Susan, this woman is identified, that's an adulterer. And I believe, truthfully, many people walk in this world and they walk with an identity that is given to them by the world and by the enemy. I think the enemy wanted her known as the adulterer. And let me tell you something. Some of us walk in this world and we walk with an identity that the enemy has given us. And we believe that. We walk in our life and we think, well, I'm a liar. Why? Well, I used to have a problem with the truth. I don't have integrity. I don't know. Maybe I'm an adulterer or maybe I'm an addict. or maybe I, And you can go through all these things and we get identified by the things in our lives that we have done or we have experienced, whether it's events or actions in our lives. And I'm here to tell you that that is not at all what God intends for your life. That was not what God intended for her life, and we're going to see that. This is one of my favorite sayings, by the way. Failure, listen to me, failure is a bruise. It's not a tattoo. All right? I didn't know if I was going to be allowed to get up here today because I didn't have a tattoo. And I saw all these other, I was like, man, am I allowed to speak? But I do have the birthmark. But anyway, <laughs> failure is a bruise. It doesn't have to mark you forever. It doesn't have to be your identity. Some of you are here today and you believe that that failure in your life, that mistake in your life, those actions in your life marked you forever. And I want to tell you, no, not at all God's intention for your life. All right? We need to start there. We need to start there. All right, verse four, listen to what it said. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Wow, what a bad scene, right? I mean, this woman wasn't caught. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Get that, all right? Now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. Now, some of your passages won't say test. It'll say trap. They tried to trap Jesus. Now, I want you to get this. This is what the Pharisees were doing. And the reason they were is because they had high popularity of Christ. Okay? Christ was very popular. He might have been taking people away from what they had been teaching for centuries, right? And they were following a new way, and they were being taught something different. They didn't like it, and so they came to trap him because they thought if they could trap him, and maybe if he said... Um, well, no, we're not going to stone her. Then they say, well, see, he breaks the law of Moses. Or maybe if he said, well, we're going to stone her, we're going to, well, what happened to all that compassion and love you preach about? You see, they were trying to get him in a trap. And I love what Jesus did. All right. It says Jesus bent down and wrote in the dirt. 
I, have you ever wondered what he wrote? If you've read this, I've, I've wondered so many times. I always thought maybe he wrote, hey, Ishmael, I saw you last week. You know what I mean? A couple sins of the people who could read what he was writing, you know, or something like that, just to kind of get him to walk away in a little bit of shame. But I think what he was trying to do was this. I think he was trying to give him kind of like a time for reflection. I, you see, I think he wanted them to think, do we really want to do this? Is this something we want to take on right now? And I think you want to give him a little thought process there. I don't know, but I think that he had an idea of if he could just calm them down and let them think. Now, let me tell you why I felt like he needed to calm them down. It's simple. The Bible says that they had to drop the stones, so they already had the stones in their hand. See, they weren't really waiting for an answer from Jesus. They knew what they were going to do. They weren't sitting there going, well, let's say, listen, let's get some advice from Jesus over here. They didn't want any advice. They knew what they were going to do. So Jesus wrote in the sand, wrote some in the dirt, don't know what he wrote, and then he stood back up and he got back into it. But before he did, I want you to get this. This is just something that hit me this week, and you've probably heard this before. Adultery takes two people, doesn't it? Where was the man? Right? Where was the man? Because, listen, the punishment for adultery wasn't, I've heard it taught, but that's not accurate. The Mosaic law taught both of them were to be stoned. Not just the woman. Where was the man? Jesus saw that too. All right? He knew this was not a theological question. He knew this wasn't, listen, we're really stumped. We don't know what to do because if they were really stumped, maybe they would have brought them both before, all right? He knew he was being set up, all right? I love this encounter that Jesus has. Look at verse seven. And they continued to ask him. In other words, they didn't let up. He paused and he was writing. and said, come on, Jesus, what do you got to say? What do you got to say? And it says that he stood up, all right, and he said to them, all right, well, let him without sin cast the first stone. I call this the transition of the story because right now the whole focus has been on Jesus and this woman. And what did Jesus do? He turned their eyes inward. Hey, 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 hey. Take a look at yourself for a second. All right? He turned the eyes from the accused to the accusers right there on the spot. All right? And I want you to get this for a moment, okay? Jesus wanted them to focus on them. I've been a pastor, I've been preaching since 1982. 1982. All right? And I have seen the church focus so many times on the sins and evils of the world and the culture, and they preach against it all the time. They preach against it all the time. They're beating it down. They're screaming at it and point fingers at it. They point everything wrong. And I wanna tell you right now, I'm an old fart, so in case you didn't know this, I've done a lot of that myself, and I don't agree with a lot that's going on out there. There's a lot of things happening out there that make me cringe, and I can tell you, I read things that are happening, and I pray to God, and I just say, I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry this is going on. This has to, this has to crush you. This has to hurt you. This has to make you weep. But you know what God reminds me of? Rod, you're not there to judge that culture. You're there to reach that culture. All right? 
That's why I have you there, Rod. You're there to reach into that culture. You're there to make a difference, you see? You're there to make a difference in their life. So church, can I give you two pieces of advice? Just real quick, and we're gonna move off this, all right? The first one is drop the rocks, all right? Christianity, Christianity is not about telling a person what they did wrong, all right? Christianity is about loving the person who has done wrong. We're not gonna... We're not going to accept certain things and deny sins. Of course we're going to say, yeah, that's sin, but I love you. I love you. I know what the word says. I know, yeah, and I don't want to deny the word. I'm not going to change the word to make you feel good about your life. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to tell you what the word of God says because the truth is what sets us free, all right? So I'm going to give you the truth, but I'm going to love you all the way through it. And sometimes we give them the truth and we say, chew on that. And most of the time, if they don't have brothers and sisters in Christ, they don't chew on it, they choke on it. All right, let me give you one more out of this. Quit the quits. Quit the quits. Man, sometimes we walk around and say, man, a a good Christian doesn't smoke, a good Christian doesn't drink, a good Christian doesn't watch Netflix or whatever. I don't know. It's not about quitting. Here's what a good Christian does. They start. You understand? We don't quit. We start. We start something new with God. We start something fresh with God. That's exactly what Jesus was doing in this woman's life. He was getting her started on something. All right? Look at this. Look at what it says in verse 8. All right? And once more, he bent down and wrote in the ground. Again, I don't, I don't know why. I can't wait to ask him that. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I like that. Don't miss that. In other words, they all had their rocks. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what. He's without sin, cast the first stone. It says that the older ones went first. That's because they walked the road a little bit longer and they knew, yeah, I got nothing to say here, all right? And it went down to the younger ones. And when it got down to the time, it was Jesus left alone with the woman standing beside him. I think that's interesting because he started with a crowd before the Pharisees came in with the woman. But it says at the end, it's just Jesus and the woman. Let me tell you something. Sometimes when you encounter God, the world leaves you. They walk away from you, and unfortunately, listen to me, listen to me. Sometimes the church walks away from you too. And if that's happened in your life, hear me. Hear me now from a pastor who's been preaching for 40 years. I'm sorry, because that's not the intent of the church. That's not the goal of the church. That's not the purpose of the church. That's why we don't get baptized and get sucked up into heaven, that we're left down here for a purpose. You understand? That woman got left alone right there. So Jesus stood up. And he said to her, woman, where are they? You know, the ones that are accusing you, the ones that condemned you. And she says, no one's left, Lord. And he said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I want to touch on just a couple things here. There are people here today that need to hear again that Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Some of you are still walking under some condemnation in your life. You know it, I don't. I don't know your story, but Jesus does and you do. I got a lot of things in my closet you'll never know, but God already knows them, right? And I understand what's in there. And it's taken me years to get by some of those, and some of them I'm still not by. And I still have to have God convince me, Rod, I don't condemn you for those. I washed you clean of those. Those don't matter anymore, Rod. And I have to say, tell me again, Jesus. Tell me again, Jesus. Tell me again, Jesus. Because I want to pick them up. 
because I think those are me. Those are my identity. And Jesus is going, no. And so some of you need to know, neither do I condemn you. But I want you to get the other part of this. You see, so he takes away your guilt. He takes it away, says, listen, you've been walking with that guilt. You don't need to walk with that guilt anymore. Here's my grace. But then what does he say to her? Now go and sin no more. See, another habit that the church has gotten into because it makes the church more popular or more warm and fuzzy or more friendly or more soft or whatever, but we actually think that we can receive the grace of God and go on living as we do. And that is not at all what Jesus said to this woman. He didn't say, I forgive you, so go ahead and live an adulterous life. He didn't say, I forgive you, that stuff doesn't matter. Just, just come, come to temple. All right, just sing a few neat songs and, and get baptized and everything's cool. Don't worry about how you live. You see, that's been a teaching in churches nowadays. We swung the pendulum from one side being totally legalistic where we lack the love to the other side where we think, oh no, we love everybody and we lack the life. And Jesus was saying, listen, I don't condemn you. Now go live like you are not condemned. You see, what I found is when I found out what God has done for me, what Christ has done for me, what's that do? It changes the way I live. See, I don't live my way so Christ will do something for me. I live my way because Christ has done something for me. Does that make sense? You and I live our way because of all the good that God has done in our life. So I like that he basically said, listen, I love you, I don't condemn you, now go and live differently, and live differently. All right, listen, I'm gonna give you a couple things because I wanna close out this way that I really, I really believe is important. So we're gonna kind of blow by some of those notes, Dave. Because, uh, man, I got eight minutes and 10 seconds. All right. And no, I'm not going to meet you out in the parking lot and finish it, so I'm going to do it here. Listen, I, I get a lot of lessons out of this story. I love this story. I love it because I think that it wasn't just a showdown with the Pharisees where the Pharisees kind of got shamed and walked away, but I think also that Jesus never, ever took his eye off the woman. You see, every time you see an encounter with Christ, he's never too busy with the people he's encountering. That's what I'm always amazed at. I mean, this guy was at the height of popularity, right? He was at the very pinnacle, all right? He was the most popular preacher out there. And everybody wanted a piece of Jesus. But he always had time for the person in front of him. Man, I'll tell you something, James. I could learn a lesson from that, couldn't you, sometimes? You get so busy being a pastor. You get so busy doing the things you're supposed to do or people want you to do. I find myself sometimes on Sunday morning. You know what I do? I'm ashamed of this. I'm not, I walk right by people. I remember one time I walked by some person in the church office, and I walked into my office, and I sat down, and one of my elders was there. And he walked in. He said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm working. He goes, no, that's your work out there. Well, Jesus never did that. He didn't lose sight of the sheep. He never lost sight of one. And here he was with this one. And I think he had a bigger purpose than getting her out of a jam. Sometimes we treat God that way, don't we? God, if you just get me out of this jam, 
Hey, God, we haven't talked in a while, but I really don't know what I do because I've gotten letters from the IRS. Hey, God, I haven't talked in a while, but I haven't had a job in six months, so I really need your help. Hey, God, I haven't talked in a while, but I just had a doctor's visit and it didn't go well. See, this woman was in one of those kind of jams, but Jesus didn't want to just fix her jam. He didn't want to get her out of that and say, okay, all right, cool, no problem. They're a bunch of bullies. I stood up for you. That was not his purpose. His purpose was to change your life. And he did that by changing her identity. Some of you need your identity changed. You're living with an identity is not from God. You're living with an identity because it's been marked in your life. Whether it was marked in your life by your family, by a former spouse, by a former boss, by people that you knew at whatever time in your life, they gave you a name. They gave you an identity. And it is not from God. And unfortunately, you've been living with that. You've been walking with that. I want to tell you, if that woman would have walked with adultery for the rest of her life, she would have never realized what God could do. And some of us walk with an identity that we're not called to walk with. And God has a new identity for you. He has a new name for you. He has a new purpose for you. Whatever you're walking in, Whatever the tag is, I want to let you know that God has a new purpose for you. So I want to do something today. If I can, I want to, I want to pray over you because some of you might be going, yeah. I mean, imagine, what's the name about? I guess I'm done. <laughs> Mainly because I got to change pants right now. Um, <clears throat> but... What's the name? Did I do something, dude? No? All right. What's the name? What's the name that you think of right now? Don't tell me. What's the name? Like I said, years ago, I went through something like this, and I was walking with this name, and I didn't even realize it. It wasn't from God, because I felt like for somehow it was, and I walked with this name, and someone challenged me, what's the name? What's the name? And you know what it was for me? It was Failure. I walked with failure. And I believe that God saw me as a failure trying to be redeemed, trying to finally get things right, finally get things fixed where God could finally say, well, now it's about time. Good to have you on board. Been waiting for you. You've been screwing up long enough. What's your name? So we're gonna go to God right now. I want you to bow with me. I only got about four minutes. I want you to bow with me. And I want you to listen to my words, and then I want you to listen for the voice of God, all right? Father God, we're here in your presence right now, like that woman thrown at your feet. We're sitting at your feet right now, Jesus. Father God, we're before you. We're before the Holy One. And God, somehow in our life, somehow in our life, we... We've gotten an identity that is not from you. Oh, it might have been by our own mistakes, our own bad choices. Sure, it might have, might have been by that. It might have been by our parents who, in an early part of our life, just gave us this scar, this, this tattoo of our life that made us believe that this is who we are. Some of us, it might have been in relationships. It might have been a former spouse that, might have been a school teacher or a college professor or 
a boss that we had at one time, but we walk, some of us walk with an identity, God, that is not from you. And I pray, God, right now, that you, you will just tell them what the enemy calls them. Help them identify, God, what the enemy calls them so they can identify a lie. Father, we're so thankful that you love us so much that you'll meet us where we are. And you love us too much to leave us where we are. I thank you for that, God. Man, I am so glad I'm not where I used to be. And Father God, like, like that woman... Some of us need to be put on a new road. A road that's called redemption. And God, your redemption is not a one-time event. It's continual in our lives. And Father, some of us need to know that that redemption is ours. And so, Father God, right now, I pray, Father God, as we come before you, Lord, that you'll give them that name you know them by. Now God, right now, some people have discounted what they heard. The name they've heard, they discounted it. They thought it was not from you. And I pray God that you give them the name again, just affirm in their mind, this is how I see you. Father, for the first time, probably in that woman's life, she found love and acceptance from the great shepherd, Jesus. And then Jesus said, now go live like it. Father, there are people here today that need to hear from you that they are your adopted child so they can go live like it. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for knowing us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.